0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Charlie. Reading is from Samuel 16, verses 1 to 13. Samuel anoints David. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. The Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadad and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, "Nor has the Lord chosen this one." Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to them, "The Lord has not chosen these." So he asked Jesse, "Are these all the sons that you have? There is still." The youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep, Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and a handsome and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah.
1: How many of you saw the presidential debates on Tuesday?
0: Yeah.
1: How many of you, like me, turned them off after about five minutes?
0: Yeah, you took a half hour? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you, oh brother. You know, uh, both debaters failed openly in what I was looking for. I was looking for a demonstration of of leadership, a sh- just a shred of leadership. You know, they they were just abused each other uh, over policy, policy. Now, policy's important, of course, but yeah, when you turned that thing on, you knew what both guys stood for. I mean, the, there's no. Uh, big issue there. I just wanted to see some character and uh, to see what, what the potential was that uh, f- there would be leadership. And I would say we are failing in leadership in our country. That's, that's what's going on. We're failing in leadership. I'm trying to figure out if I need these bifocals or not. <laughs> now, leadership's a critical factor in, in almost every human endeavor. Um, Not only in politics, but in your home and church and community, school, that sort of thing. The list goes on. Okay, and the kingdom of God is no exception when it comes to leadership. God uses leadership in the kingdom of God. When he wanted to have a people that he called his own, he called Abraham to be their leader and uh, when they wound up as slaves down in, uh, in Egypt for 400 years and he was going to call them out of that slavery, he had a leader named Moses, correct, and then when that group of folks was going to invade the promised land, he had another leader ready for them, Joshua and then Joshua leads them into the promised land and uh, they stay there for a while and then things start to fall apart spiritually, so God raises up judges names like Gideon and Deborah, and finally at the end of that chain, Samuel, the last judge of Israel, then the people wanted a king, so God raised up Saul Saul, yeah. But Saul didn't work out so well, did he? So then God chose a man after his own heart, David. David was succeeded by his son Solomon, and then things started going downhill uh, with kings after that, as you well know. And so God raised up a new type of leader called a prophet, I mean, he'd had prophets before, but these are very unique prophets, Uh, names like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the minor prophets also. They're a very interesting group of people, and they gave spiritual leadership to the nation all the way through its decline because people weren't paying attention to them, and then into their exile, and and even while they were in exile, there were still prophets speaking to them. When Cyrus, the king of uh, Persia, Uh, released the Jews and allowed them to go back down to Jerusalem they needed leadership down there because they didn't have it and they were falling apart and God made a provision for Nehemiah and Ezra to go down there and give them instruction and rebuild their defenses and particularly to bring accountability into those people then there were 400 years of silence if you remember that Uh, the Bible is silent for 400 years but that silence is shattered by John the Baptist spiritual leader, great spiritual leader, and <clears throat> following John, of course, needing no introduction, is Jesus himself, the King of kings, Lord of lords, but then it doesn't stop there, Jesus died for our sins, the debt, sin debt was paid, he returns to the the, the Father in heaven, and a fisherman named Peter takes over leadership, doesn't he? Peter was transformed at Pentecost the same day he preached a sermon where Three thousand people was it three thousand I believe it was three thousand people came to know Christ that day they're swept into the kingdom of God and finally, uh, the greatest of all New Testament leaders and in, in my opinion was this terrorist turned evangelist Paul, and he provided amazing leadership to the infant church so much so that within twenty years he was able to say uh, this is from romans fifteen nineteen He said so from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. That means the church he had established the church in an area as large as the eastern United States, as the whole eastern seaboard of the United States. In 20 years Paul, great leadership. Well at this point the scriptures close after Paul but not the kingdom uh, of God and its leadership story Uh, The apostles gave way to the church fathers and then after the church fathers we start hearing names like Augustine and Thomas Aquinas uh, and then Reformation was necessary so we have Luther and and we have Calvin and then when the Reformation needed Reformation uh, we have names like uh, Simon Menno uh, and um, Alexander Mack, they come to mind and then there's this thing, pilgrims come over to North America and North America starts becoming a a population. Uh, They need leadership. The Wesley brothers, God anoints the Wesley brothers uh, to bring uh, Christianity all up and down the eastern seaboard and even a little bit into the mountains. Uh, George Whitfield preached the first Great Awakening uh, and then uh, later on America needed revival again so God raises up names like uh, Charles Finney and D.L. Moody and it just goes on and on and even in our own times think of the names you know Billy Graham uh, I'll, I'll throw out James and Shirley Dobson great leaders uh, for evangelicalism Chuck Colson and then over with our Catholic brethren Mother Teresa and uh, and Pope John so uh, God is anointing leadership continually to keep the kingdom of God going. So the the, the lesson from history—this is all history—I was talking about here—is is loud and clear, and that is um, leadership is is a part of who we are. In today's scripture, uh, we become witnesses to God selecting a leader, don't we? You heard what Charlie read there about uh, uh, Samuel going and and selecting. Um, Selecting David, but actually he didn't start out selecting David, did he? Okay, so actually this scripture not only shows us how God selects a leader, but it also shows a comparison between how men select leaders and how God selects leaders. And they make that very clear there. Uh, The key verse for today from what Charlie read was uh, from uh, verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, so Eliab, that's who he was talking about. Eliab must have been tall. He must have been good looking. He says, For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at, the Lord looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Okay, when you read this verse in context, what you what you see, the reason he was saying that was because of what, Eliab, I mean, what had, uh, Samuel had said earlier in chapter 6 he said when they arrived Samuel saw Eliab and he thought surely the Lord's anointed stands here before uh, the Lord and, uh, and, he, he, and he gets this rebuke which he deserved um, the choice that, that God is going to make is so unlikely I mean David, the guy's going to choose David it's so unlikely that David's own father when, when Samuel, now Samuel he's the head guy in the whole country, and he comes into town. He says, "I'd like to meet with you and your sons." Ooh, you yeah. know, he assembles all the sons, except he doesn't even get David. That's how unlikely David was in this thing. As a matter of fact, if you want to look at some of the family dynamics in this thing, uh, David. Uh, a little while later, uh, Goliath is challenging Israel. So David. Is sent on his dad by his dad with a little bit of an errand, you know, to go down there, and David's asking all the soldiers, what's going to happen to the guy who uh, who kills this ugly Philistine and all that kind of stuff? And Eliab, the same guy that God rejected, he, he, uh, he sees this and he gets really angry. He burns with anger. It says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and he asked, why have you come down here and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know you, how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. That's Elias. Here's David. Now what have I done? Said David. Can I even speak? Family dynamics, right? that you, know, you could just picture that going on in a family. It's classic stuff. Um, it paints a picture of David as being the runt in the family, the, 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 the one nobody even cares about, you know, he just takes care of the sheep. But while Samuel was apparently taken in by Eliab, okay, God's looking in the heart, he chooses David. God could see something very different. Now, we don't have God's eyes when it comes to choosing a leader. We don't have God's eyes, but what we can do is we can look at the choices God has made in these leaders and we can say, hey, what are their strengths? And then we can say, well, that's what God's really looking for, so, so let's do that. Um, Abraham, his great strength was his ability to hear God and obey, to hear, hear and obey. You know, he, he really did some amazing stuff when you think about the changes that he had to go through in his life. And he heard God, God spoke to him, and he obeyed. He also took the long view. He resisted the temptation to go for short-term gain, and that's best illustrated when uh, he was dividing up the land with his nephew Lot. You remember that? And he said, well, you take whatever you want, and Lot, of course, he picks the choice of stuff there. That's what happened. But, uh, and that didn't bother Abraham because Abraham had faith that God had a longer view and had different things uh, ready for his family. Moses had the quality known as meekness. Now, meekness is often confused with humility. As a matter of fact, Bible translators mix it up. Sometimes you'll read humility and sometimes you'll read meekness in there, but the word is meekness. And um, I think David had, I mean, Moses, I'm sorry, had both of, uh, of these qualities humility and meekness. Uh, he had a, um, a challenging uh, leadership assignment. He was going to lead a million people who were slaves, and even though they were slaves, their comfort zone was being in slavery. You find that out later when they're out in the wilderness. So, oh, if we were only back there, you know, that was their comfort zone. He was—he go- had to take a million people in the name of a god, which they had now forgotten. Right? In the name of that god, he was going to convince them that they had to to leave. Um, to, to leave Egypt, and then he has to convince them that the best thing for you guys to do is wander in the wilderness for 40 years. You know, that is a tough leadership assignment, particularly when you consider the fact that these people were probably world class complainers. Uh, they demonstrated that later on. Well, meekness is the uh, quality, correctly understood, meekness is the quality that. Um, that allows you to maintain your cool i can 't say it any better way than that when you uh, when you have every right to be angry, but you maintain your cool it allows you meekness uh, it- unfortunately is misunderstood as weakness, right? Meekness isn't weakness, that's what you hear, but that's the misunderstanding because instead of responding to people when they're being obstinate around you you just maintain your cool and you figure out how am I going to get through this and that's what uh, meekness is and uh, that allowed allowed Moses to deal with uh, the behaviors of these people and humility is the quality of being honest with yourself on who you are. That's really what it is. Where do you stand in? Uh, where do you fit? What's your station in the kingdom of God? You, you, try and understand that. Now Moses could have thought that he was pretty hot stuff. After all, he was he was raised and educated with Egypt's best. You know, he, he his classy, uh, classy upbringing he had. Uh, he was selected by God for one of the world's most difficult leadership assignments. Uh, he was a miracle worker, and he was also a military strategist. And not only that, but he he out-negotiated the world's most powerful leader, Pharaoh. (laughs) Now You put all that stuff together, credentials like that, you could get pretty heady about that stuff, but Moses never did. Moses always thought about himself as being a servant to God and a servant to God's people. Those two qualities got something for Moses: humility and meekness. And what they got him was it diffused and disarmed the complaints of the people. You just can't complain too hard against a person who's meek and and um, yeah, humble and, and honest with themselves and who they are. Well, let's move on to King David. Um, David was called a man. My, I'll get it: a man after God's own heart. If you remember from last week's sermon when the bible speaks about your heart versus your mind it's speaking about your emotions its emotions and i believe that david's key he was called a man after god's own heart david had the ability to share god's emotions to have the feelings that god had towards the nation david had those same feelings Uh, emotions properly expressed are very important for a leader in order to gain uh, the following of the people. I think the best example in David's life of that was when he was leading a band of folks in the Judean wilderness being chased around by Saul in a deadly cat-and-mouse game. It was David's passion for the Lord that kept that band following him through several years of, of deprivation. And then no study in leadership is complete without talking about Nehemiah. Uh, And and Nehemiah is sort of obscure. Not many people know much about Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. You know what a cupbearer is? He walks around with a gold chain, with a gold cup, and (laughs) I guess it's gold, and he tastes the king's wine before the king does, so the obvious doesn't happen. Um, But that's, only the formality of it. The fact of the matter is a cupbearer is the king's highest consultant, his highest advisor, and that's what Nehemiah was to so the king of Persia. When the Jews were allowed to go back down to Jerusalem and, and Judah, uh, Judea and that sort of thing, um, they, uh, not all of them left. Probably only about half of them left. Most of them, I would say, more than half of them stayed up there. They, they never did come down. Matter of fact, at the beginning of last century, around 1900, something, the largest Jewish population in the world was where? It was in Iraq. <laughs> You'd never think of that nowadays, but that's where the largest Jewish population left over from this time when they were exiled there. Nehemiah was no exception. He, was, he didn't go down with these people uh, after 70 years. He was the cupbearer of the king. He was this advisor, sort of like Joseph was, you know, second in command in Egypt. And sort of like Daniel was advisor to all these kings. Nehemiah did too. And that's not unusual. If you look at world history often Jewish people are advisors to kings and that sort of thing. Why? Because they're the smartest population that group of people, the smartest people in the world. The smartest population there is are Jewish people. If you doubt that look at the Nobel Prize list and you'll see how intelligent they are. And that's where Nehemiah was. That's the whole backstory of Nehemiah. But Nehemiah meantime is watching what's going on down in Jerusalem with these people that went back down there and he notices that they haven't rebuilt the wall and because they haven't rebuilt the wall the Samaritans all around them are attacking them and just making life miserable for them and Nehemiah was of the conviction that if a nation didn't maintain strong borders it wasn't a nation. Sound familiar? Yeah, you've heard that before. Recently, right? <laughs> okay. Well, Nehemiah had the same opinion, so he gets a leave of absence from his from the king. He goes down there. He grabs hold of the politics. He he uh, overcomes the political nastiness. Um, he musters the population and he rebuilds the wall in record time. Now. He had a lot of good leadership attributes, but his most significant one, the one that won the day, was the fact that he led by example. He was on that wall every day, every night when they were rebuilding it, and because of that, he inspired the people that were rebuilding the wall, and they got it done in record time. Now, we'll jump over to the New Testament. The Apostle Paul uh, was a real study in leadership. Uh, The most important part Of kingdom leaders who preceded Paul was the fact that they were eye to eye with their leaders. They they could they could see their leaders. The leaders could see them. He could talk to them. Not true with Paul. First time, Paul's building a worldwide, worldwide for him a worldwide organization called the church. That's what that's what Paul's doing. Without the benefit of instantaneous communications, you know, these things. Yeah, he didn't have that. And he didn't have rapid transportation, jump on a plane, you know, four hours later you're on the other coast. He didn't have that. Uh, at that time, the common wisdom was information uh, moved how fast, as fast as you could walk. That's how fast information moves. It moves at the speed of light for us, so what you could walk. How did they do transportation? Also, uh, by walking. That's what Paul had to use, that's, that's what he had available during a time he was building a worldwide organization. Can you imagine doing that? And in 20 years, he's successful. That is absolutely some incredible leadership there. And um, the way uh, he did it, um, he had well-established expectations, real clear expectations. What were they? This. Yes. Most of this was actually in people's hands. Right? I mean, it was centuries later before they said, Okay, that's the Bible, but all the Gospels were written uh, and, and being circulated. And Paul, the more Paul preached, the more letters he wrote, and the more they were circulated around, and they were regarded as scripture. So people had this and this. So he had clear expectations. He was a powerful communicator, not only v- uh, verbally, but as a communicator in writing. He kept the bureaucracy of the church to a minimum, the church organization was very flat, and he was a prolific mentor. He was mentoring all the time. You'll see that in his letters. So um, that's the things that he brought to leadership, Paul. And, and we'll end, of course, with the greatest kingdom leader of all, Jesus. In order to describe all his strengths, leadership strengths, you'd need pages and pages to do that. We're going to do that. I'm going to focus just on one, and it's real quick. He gave his all. He gave his all. And that's a leadership attribute when you're willing to give your all to the cause and uh, in the interest of time we'll stop there you can keep going honestly uh, sometimes you're doing this preparing these sermons and you, you get so into it and you realize I can't say all that it would take forever okay. so uh, what we're doing here now remember is we're trying to acquire inquire acquire the mind of God relative to selecting a leader and so we don't make the the same mistake that, uh, that Samuel made so uh, let's uh, real quickly just summarize what we saw in Abraham it was this unquestioned obedience important leadership attribute and decision making uh, that, that looked at ultimate outcomes not what happened tomorrow Moses, meekness and humility David, he was aligned with God emotionally and he exhibited great passion for the kingdom of God Nehemiah led by example Paul emphasized truth he communicated well and he led through others that was critical for him and finally Jesus sacrificed all for his followers you know in November we have to choose a leader it would be a relief it would I would feel relieved if we said no God you just choose the right leader you know and, and I'll stand down I won't take take uh, part in that but the fact of the matter is if we didn't choose the leader we would miss a great opportunity to begin to be uh, conformed to the image of Christ. God is constantly molding and shaping us into the image of Christ. Now he did select leaders in the past, but now he's saying, no, you, you do it. You select the leaders. Okay, that forces us to think these thoughts and to think what God would choose. So, uh, so it's a good thing for us as Christians to be forced into the position of choosing leader because it forces us to think um, with, uh, to think like God. Um, now, we do have to consider issues. Uh, I sort of dismissed that earlier on. There are some issues which you just can't ignore. So up in New York City, if you remember earlier in this year, I think it was this year, where they celebrated uh, the fact that they could kill babies all the way up to birth. You know? And they, they, one built, the tallest building in New York City, they turned it all pink, and they showed pictures of the legislature clapping when they passed it. You can't ignore that. Okay, so that's, that's one of those issues. It just is an overriding issue. You can't ignore that. When, when um, there's all sorts of passion around about valid social justice issues, and there, you know, we've had that just in recent times, we have to pay attention to that. So there are some issues where the issue really begins to eclipse the person. But when, when you don't have those kind of issues, Um, when they're not overwhelming your choices we should try best as we can to avoid Samuel's error of looking at the externals and we should look at candidates with uh, applying these biblical principles that are used for kingdom leadership because if you think about it God, our politics come from God. God raises up leaders, God raises up leaders so that means political leadership is kingdom leadership It's not like, well, that's political leadership, and then you have kingdom leadership. No, God raises up kings, so we should uh, demand or we should expect uh, these kingdom leadership qualities in our political leaders also. So I want to wrap it up with two thoughts, and we are just about there. Um, Open Hebrews chapter 11. Everybody knows what that is. That's the what chapter? The, The faith chapter. Thank you. Okay. A lot of these Old Testament leaders are mentioned in the faith chapter of, of having as having great faith. Faith is an enabler. Faith takes what your otherwise leadership skills are and turns them on. You can't exercise those skills without faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing. hearing. and hearing by the word, word of God. God. Yeah. So as we Uh, as we read God's Word, our faith increases. Now I want to turn this around and make it personal because we're all leaders of some kind. I'll look around the room. Most of us are matriarchs or patriarchs, aren't we? Okay, that puts us in a leadership role in our family. Okay, some are still involved in leadership positions in the church. Matter of fact, a number of us around here are still involved, and that, that puts you in a leadership position. Some are involved in the leadership in in your community or uh, in other ways that puts you in a leadership position. Even um, when you're just a neighbor to people, there's needy neighbors out there that puts you in a leadership position. So I would want to challenge you um, to just as the just as faith was important for these great Old Testament leaders, okay, faith is important for us. So it really begins our leadership gets turned on as we study and meditate God's Word on a, on a daily basis. And the other thought um, I want to share with us before we close is that Jesus in addition to you know, giving us all, Jesus was par excellence at looking over the horizon. He was preaching, he was leading 12 men there in Judea at, uh, during His lifetime. But He was looking over the horizon 2,000 years at us today. He was leading from what he did 2,000 years ago with those 12 guys is impacting us today. So his ability to look beyond the horizon, beyond today, and see what his leadership was going to do was a very it was a critical uh, factor for us because, because we're here today. Well, how about, how about us? Are we looking over the horizon? You know, we, many of us have raised children, and we have varying degrees of success, put it that way, in raising children and that kind of stuff. But then the children have children, they're called grandchildren. Um, Ron has great-grandchildren. Maybe some of the others of you have great-grandchildren. I don't know. I, I, okay, right? Good. Right, okay, good. And so uh, we go out um, generations, generations. You know, the, the Bible speaks often. The Bible speaks often about generations, way down. In fact, sometimes bad, but sometimes good. I'm going to quote from Deuteronomy 7.9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Those who love him and keep his commandments. How far? To a thousand generations. Well, I'm not challenging us to think a thousand generations. If a generation is 20 years, how many years would a thousand generations be? 20,000 years. I can't think that far ahead, you know. But what are we doing today? What are we doing? Even, you know, we're seniors, right? What are we doing that's going to impact our great grandchildren and children behind that? Think about that. I invite you to think about what am I doing today? that's going to affect them. There's one thing for sure that you can be doing today that's going to affect them. What's that? Ruth is an expert at it. Pray. Pray. Yeah, pray. You can be doing that. Pray for those children. You don't even know their names. You don't know how many they're going to be, whether they're male or female or anything else. But pray. You know, pray and ask God. And then just think about how do I take the long view when it comes to my family. You know, I'm going to leave, uh, just close this uh, thought first. Uh, the beginning of this sermon is really about choosing uh, leaders. And that, so I'm saying, make your vote count this fall. Make your vote count. Um, and it's not just presidential elections. That's, you know, you're voting for a lot of folks. Try to find out as much as you can about them. Try to see what their character is. And that, that's extremely important. And then supercharge your own leadership by daily Bible meditation, always thinking about how your actions will affect generations to come. And with that, I'm going to close. (laughs) I'm running out of steam. (laughs) Heavenly Father, thank you and praise you, Lord. Um, Lord, I thank you for the example that you have. Your, Your word is so full of true stories. True stories. And and those true stories, every one of them, is a learning opportunity for us. And in this case, a learning opportunity for leadership, Father God, and for how uh, we impact those around us when we're in a leadership position, and how we'll impact our families out for generations yet to come. I just thank you, Lord, for the privilege that you have given us to here in the United States to select our own leaders. But, Lord, we want to do it in such a way that we mimic you in, in looking at the heart, at looking at the character of, uh, of those who are choosing for leadership and not looking on the outward appearance. Thank you, Lord, for your
0: goodness to us constantly, constantly you're with us. In Jesus' name, amen.